A Shot of Life is sponsored by the Toronto School of Management's NCA Prep Program. Get in touch with Anton on Facebook or email at ncaprep at torontosom.ca to find out how you can start prepping for your NCA exams on your own time, on demand, through pre-recorded modules taught by Canadian trained lawyers, as well as study guides and notes that cover the entire NCA syllabus. Mention the discount code is Shot of Life to get 10% off your purchases with TSOM. You don't have to study alone. Get in touch with Anton and get started on your journey to becoming a lawyer in Canada today. Welcome to A Shot of Life, a podcast aimed at highlighting the personal journeys of professionals and entrepreneurs in Canada, taking a snapshot of the person behind the professional title. I'm your host, Anton Haswell, and this is episode 34 of our NCA series. Our 34th guest is Victoria Crew Nelson. Victoria was appointed Vice President, Underwriting and Customer Service, and Secretary for the Board at LawPro in 2018. She is responsible for the preparation, placement, and maintenance of reinsurance and corporate insurance. A past instructor with the Bar Admission course, Victoria has been published on topics including professional liability, the Limitations Act, class actions, family law, and parental responsibility. Victoria was called to the Ontario Bar in 2003 after completing a BA and LLB at the Universities of Toronto, Ottawa, and Edinburgh. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Anton. Yeah. Hi. Thanks so much for agreeing to be on the podcast today. It's a pleasure. Yeah. And and in in so many ways, with with so many contexts that I've made in the past year, um, it's through somebody else who I met on LinkedIn, or you know, it's it's sort of so many degrees of separation. But I really appreciate you agreeing to be on this podcast, and um, I know that there are going to be a lot of insights that you have that I know many listeners are going to benefit from. Oh, well, I hope so. <laughs> yes. Um, so usually, Victoria, what I do um, is allow yourself to to give a little bit of an introduction into who you are and where you're from and and what inspired you to want to pursue law as a career. Yeah, well, um, originally I am from Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um I can say that unlike a lot of young lawyers where they always had that pressure, you know, they watched television, they wanted to be a lawyer all their lives. Mm. Um, There was so much pressure on them to get into law school, to get those associates. That was not me at all. Uh, Mm. My first degree was in English and history. And even though half the group went on to become lawyers, that wasn't going to be me. I Mm. either wanted to be a teacher or I wanted to work for the government. And increasingly, Mm. I thought I want to work for the government. And after, you know, as I was approaching the end of my BA, I started thinking about what steps to do next. And I heard about law in Scotland and how you could get this great hybrid legal experience of common law and civil law and European law. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that sounds like it could be a good kind of entry into the kind of government work I wanted to do. Uh, and so I went with it though. Honestly, I loved Scotland so much. I probably would have come up with another excuse for (laughs) living there for a couple of years, Mm -hmm. but it was never with the idea that eventually I was going to be a lawyer. Right. 
Interesting. Yeah. And it, it sounds actually quite similar to, to my journey, at least from the beginning, you know, you, you were studying like a bachelor of arts, right. Um, in history and things like that. And I was studying the history of religions <laughs> in university at the university of Toronto and, and thinking maybe law, but also maybe teaching like you. Um, and then again, like you, you kind of discover that there are opportunities that exist beyond the border and you look, and for me, it was, you know, I went to um, a university in London in the UK and that was you know, a bit of a dream of mine to be able to go there. So, you know, you, you said you would have found any reason to stay in Scotland. What was it about that experience? And do you feel like that experience helped propel you into the kind of career trajectory you find yourself in now? Like uh, for me personally, um, kind of the experience I had in London, um, I suppose at the risk of sounding a bit uh, cliche, it was life-changing for me. <laughs> and I'm wondering if you had a similar experience. I'm still really involved in my alumni group. Mm -hmm. And every year when we've got the new students who are getting ready to go over there, I tell them the same thing, you know, don't tell my husband and kids this, but the time I spent at law school in Scotland was the best period of my life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, besides the fact that I was in a new environment and, you know, finding these new challenges, I learned so much about myself during that period. Mm -hmm. I thought that I could kind of coast through law school the way that I'd been able to coast through my undergrad. You know, mm -hmm. I, I was at U of T too. Mm -hmm. um, and I was able to get good grades without too much exertion. Mm -hmm. And I could not get away with that in Scotland. And it, it was a nightmare to me my first term. Yeah. Uh, but then it taught me that I was better than I thought I was, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I think it's funny, you know, um, I, I very similarly, I, I think the first term for me was a huge shock in many different ways, namely, obviously, the rigors of academic work on a law degree um, that kind of creeps up and, and sort of slaps you in the face pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> uh, but also um, the culture shock that's involved, you know, people do speak the same language as you, but in some ways they don't. And the customs are different and the words they use for certain things are different. And um, so it did take a little bit of getting used to and there was this sort of lull or this sort of down before it went up, up, up for me. Um, and so when you're going through your law degree, Victoria, in, in Scotland and, you know, you get sort of used to the academic rigors and then you start to do really well. Um, did you give much thought to staying in Scotland longer than your degree? Did you end up doing that? And what kind of brought you back to Canada eventually? Uh, it's going to sound like such a cliche. I came back for a boy. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. So I came, I, I came back, I've been in a five-year relationship and I came back and honestly, it didn't make it to the end of the summer. We broke up before uh. Labor Day and <laughs> oh, no. I was all, oh, why did I come back? And but by this point, you know, I'm working again. I've got a job with um, like a Transport Canada agency mm -hmm. and things that I'd done when I was in Scotland, like I got really involved in the Mooding Society. And again, as somebody who wasn't planning on ever being a lawyer, it was the first time I kind of thought, well, maybe, you know, this is a lot of fun. I like advocating and doing this part of law. Like maybe I could do it. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it did make me think, okay, maybe I should think about qualifying in Canada. 
Right. And a great segue, Victoria, to um, that qualification process. Now, I guess, you know, I've, and I've interviewed various people, um, some individuals going through qualification now in 2021 and others who have done it, you know, years ago. And so I suppose, when did you go through the NCA qualification process and what was that like for you at the time? Uh, so when I was going through it, it was back in the dark ages. So this, mm-hmm. uh, I, I first applied for it in 1999. Mm-hmm. And so I knew the Federation of Law Societies was somehow organizing it. And all of my correspondence was with Vern Krishna, who was at the University of Ottawa at the time. Mm-hmm. And they really had to look at me on kind of a one-off basis because they hadn't had a lot of Scottish graduates by that point. Right. And they got back to me and they said, you're going to have to do two years of law school in Canada to qualify. It's like, two, two mm. years? Like, what the? Mm. Uh, and so I was, okay, well, Ottawa, you know, that's where I've been doing all my corresponding with. I guess I'll go there. Mm-hmm. And so I went to Ottawa for the first year. Uh, and it was fantastic. I cannot say enough great things about Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Um, the faculty was amazing. The students were so welcoming. Um, I, I found it such a great introduction to Canadian law. Right. Um, but I missed Toronto. I missed, by this point, I had another boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Now my husband. Uh, so I came back to Toronto for the second year. And it's funny when I was signing up, you know, so I'm trying to transfer over to U of T. And they said, you know, if I had applied as a transfer student from Scotland, they still would have made me do two years, but then I would have ended up with a JD right. instead of doing the NCA program. And it's like, oh, well, that, that would have been useful for me to understand before I started this process. Okay. Right. So mm-hmm. if there's a bit of advice, maybe some people should look into that about just transferring their credits over if they're going to uh, go to law school in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, but U of T, U of T, it's got its reputation. Um, I didn't find that it easy at all to make friends with the students at U of T, mind you, they were all in their third year. Right. Uh, and I was a new person at that point. But the benefits of going to U of T that you hear about for networking, I got nothing out of that. The, the professors were very good. The academics were good. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Interesting that, that you say that. Like, uh, I've, I mean, we all, you know, even, even internationally trained lawyers who have come to Canada for just a brief period of time would have heard about the reputation of Canadian law schools in some way or another. Um, and obviously there are the reputation of U of T as being sort of this sort of the epic um, of the Canadian law schools and the one that a lot of people aspire to because of those quote unquote connections and networking opportunities and sort of the idea of you go to U of T, you're guaranteed a job kind of thing. So, you know, back, back when you were, you were trying to qualify, um, how, like, did you have half an eye on networking? Did you think, okay, um, I'm going to make a go of this. So I better start, you know, um, shaking hands and and going to (laughs) events and things like that. I would say I always figured things out a step too late. Mm. Like, uh, uh, once I was actually working, I went to, uh, OBA event, like the young lawyers division. Mm -hmm. And when I got there and I'm seeing all of these groups that are just naturally congregating together, like all the Osgood grads are all together. All the U of T grads are together. And I felt like a fish out of water. And Mm -hmm. I realized like I should have put in more effort before I got to this point so that I had that established network. Right. Um, so no, I wouldn't say like the people who, the people who I networked with, you know, U of T, it was more the professors 
really didn't give me that great a leg up when it came to making friends in the law firms. Right, right. Interesting. And and I think um, while there may be some years of separation, I think there's that's the, there's still this feeling from from people who've got foreign law degrees, and even you know, I suppose people who nowadays there's there are these LLMs that that individuals can take in order to qualify rather than having to complete individual examinations or individual courses at, at Canadian law schools. And I think there still is that sort of feeling of a fish out of water, as you say, and and sort of trying to fit in um, with, and I can only imagine back then there were even less internationally trained lawyers um, in existence in Canada. And so, you know, there are, you would have had very few. Did you meet any, um, you know, people who were trained abroad while you were going through this process? Uh, none at Ottawa. Mm. Oh, sorry, one at Ottawa. Uh, there were four of us at U of T. And the dean very kindly had us all over to his house one day just to find out what our experience had been like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can say that at U of T, it was the four of us who I generally spoke with. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't the Canadian students who I really had um, much association with. Right, right. And I, again, I think similarly nowadays, it's it's kind of the same. I mean, people use LinkedIn to their advantage and, and connect that way. And it seems to be a really great way to at least um, make your make an introduction, you know, like a cyber handshake um, and hello in a, in a connection. Um, but also there I are some. I'm a, yeah, I was going to say I'm a huge fan of LinkedIn for young people to be able to connect with more senior mm-hmm. experienced lawyers. I think it's just a great way. And it's so underutilized by a lot of international students because you know, in India, it might be seen as really forward or rude for somebody to reach out this way. And it's going to be kind of off-putting to the person who they're hoping to connect with. Mm -hmm. Not at all in Canada. I find that, you know, we just, we, we take a different approach and embrace it, embrace the openness. Yeah. And I actually think, you know, people, people um, in senior positions do, I think, admire the efforts put forth by people who, who, you know, whether they're internationally trained or not, you know, connecting on LinkedIn is step one, but maybe that person who they're connecting with the senior individual looks at their profile and sees that they're blogging or sees that they're doing something unique and interesting. Um, I think there's sort of a, you know, a kind of nod of, of, you know, sort of way to go um, and a, a pat on the back. And, and if you do connect further with that individual, you have something to kind of, you know, talk about. <laughs> Absolutely. You want to make it kind of easy for the person who you want to network with. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I, I often say that in the mentoring relationship, it's one who's being mentored, who has so much responsibility for touching base, because especially if somebody's mentoring a ton of people, they might not have a formal plan in place for touching base with them regularly. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of you training the person who you're getting coached by to check in with them and, you know, make sure that it's that positive relationship so that they want to keep working with you. And yeah. so it, it's a good experience for how to get what you want in a nice way. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Very interesting. And, and so for you um, in your journey, I mean, I, you get qualified, right. And do you look at, um, 
law firms or do you look at working for the government still when you're qualified? Is that is that an option? Is that sort of your go to or has have things changed at that point? Uh, I could say that once I was at U of T, mm-hmm. all of a sudden I got caught up in that Bay Street mania. Like right. this is this is where everybody goes. You want to get to Bay Street. And so I was OK. Yeah, I want to get to Bay Street, too. Mm-hmm. And so I did well with like getting lots of the like on-campus interviews. I got, I did well with getting into the firms and getting the interviews, but then I tanked all the interviews. Mm. Um, and I could say that it's because I wasn't prepared. I didn't understand how to present myself in a great way. Even when I'd be in the waiting room and I'm, I'm seeing how well prepared the other students were, right. it's like, I have made a horrible mistake here. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, and so I did apply for, uh, like a couple of government jobs, but by this point, like I really had it in my head that I wanted to go the big law firm route and it didn't work out for me at all. Uh, mm. did not work out for me at all. I was really lucky that a small firm and a sole practitioner together agreed that I could split my articles with them. That's good. <laughs> uh, they warned me at the beginning. We don't, we aren't going to be doing any hire backs. So take what you can, but then don't forget to get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I really lucked out. They were both amazing firms to work with. I learned so much with both of them. And mm-hmm. then they both let me kind of pick where I wanted to go afterwards. And I stuck with the bigger of the two firms. Right. And you, you had mentioned their um, interviews. And I think a lot of people, you know, particularly internationally trained lawyers, they focus a lot on getting accredited. And then they focus a lot on licensing examinations, of course. Um, and then they're confronted with looking to get work, um, articling work in particular. And so maybe I was, I'm curious if you could identify maybe one or two things, like you had mentioned that you weren't prepared, um, you know, maybe a, a, a tidbit of information for somebody listening today. What would be a good way to prepare for an well, interview with a law firm? I'm going to start with what I did right, because mm-hmm. my, my applications were great. The mm-hmm. one thing I did, that's why I got the interviews. My applications were great. And it's where I remembered to that whoever's hiring you, they know Osgood, they know Queens, they know Windsor, they don't know your university. Mm. And there's, and even back then I had an idea that I had to educate them on this and it's so much more important now. Yeah. And so I did a big you know, bragging part about how great the university I went to overseas was and how its international standing is and how many amazing graduates came from there and all the wonderful things they did and how vigorous the uh, exam process was. And so I talked it up a lot and I know that helped me get in with all of those interviews. So remember to educate the hiring managers Mm -hmm. on how great your experience is because nobody can advocate for you like you can and you have to get over any kind of shyness you have in that regard the things I messed up on it would be not understanding the nature of the firm like if this is a big labor and employment firm I should have gone in there knowing all of the recent Supreme Court decisions that people would be talking about in this area I should have known all of their greatest wins who in the firm is known as the rainmaker and, you know, talked him up. These mm-hmm. are the kind of things that I should have known going in there. But instead, you know, I thought they would just be asking me questions about me. And I didn't know how important it was for me to show an interest in them and to ask them really smart questions about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that too from, from very, even hiring managers 
um, from from Bay Street, from those traditional Bay Street or national Canadian law firms. It's it's sort of doing your research on the law firms and, and in particular areas of practice. And then within those areas of practice, what what sort of deals have they done if it's you know transactional work and and who was the head of that team that would be really benefit that kind of thing right yeah exactly yeah. right yeah like if, if you're interested and like it kind of stands to reason that if you're interested in working for the firm um it would be who of you to kind of come up with multiple really um thoughtful reasons as to why and drawing upon some of the successes they've had would never be a bad idea i guess yeah. And I could say that, you know, so often when I was in these interviews, all I was thinking was Bay Street, Bay Street, Bay Street. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't thinking why I wanted to work for that firm. And it came across. Right. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And it's kind of like um, sometimes now in my current role, I review applications for for roles that aren't, you know, Bay Street or anything, but um, you can kind of tell. There are candidates who really pinpoint an organization and cater an application to it, um, and also an interview, and there, you, there are others who, who have an idea or a concept of where, where they'd like to work and what they'd like to do, but not too much in-depth information about the particular organization. Um, so yeah, catering applications too is what I've heard from hiring managers. Uh, I can tell you that something that gets it put you know right into the bin when we're getting articling positions mm -hmm. is when somebody writes and they say the reason I want to work for your firm is and it's you know well we're not a law firm like they obviously right. have not reviewed right. and tailored yeah. this at all to us yeah very interesting <laughs> that would be a telltale wouldn't it because you know there's a lot of and you can kind of understand it from the candidate's perspective you know I've seen and people have shared with me excel spreadsheets where they've applied to 100 firms and received maybe five callbacks or something like that and you you kind of you can fall into the trap of copy and paste and um, nowadays with with technology being what it is, um, there are a lot of really interesting niche firms that exist um, that may not be Bay Street, but may do the kind of work because technology allows that Bay Street kind of does, um, you yeah. know, um, boutique niche firms do that. And so I think there's more now than ever an opportunity to really pinpoint those firms and not think that you have to spread, you know, a hundred different applications out. Um, and, you know, as always, tailoring those applications is best because like you say you can kind of really you can point them out um quite easily and yeah. it's unfortunate you know mm -hmm. so um i suppose now it would be interesting for the listeners to find out where you are and what kind of work you're doing currently uh so my title is Vice President of Underwriting and Customer Service and Board Secretary, and I'm at the Lawyers Professional Indemnity Company, which we all call Law Pro. Mm -hmm. um, so my title implies the truth that I get to wear a lot of different hats. Mm -hmm. uh, when I first left private practice in 2012 to come here, it, it took me a little while for it really to sink in. I am never going to see a client again. Mm. And I, and I thought going into this, you know, I'd really, I'd understood that, you know, I was excited about working here and getting that overview of how all these different lawyers are doing and seeing all of, you know, the types of files that people work on, but it took a while for me to realize I miss my clients. Like I really mm. did miss interacting with clients. So that's the one thing I don't have anymore, unless you count my boss as my client. <laughs> um, but what I get to do is I, I get to 
think about a whole bunch of different areas of law and all the risks that are associated with it and study the types of claims that come to, in all of these areas. I get to think about um, you know, how the policies should change year over year to reflect how things are changing in Ontario for lawyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got 28 people in my department, and for the most part, they are on the phones with our customers every day, answering their questions and putting coverage in place. And I get to oversee how that is going and try to figure out ways to improve it. Um, the, and, you know, I get to do a lot of drafting, a lot of report writing. And the newest uh, hat that I put on was that becoming the board secretary. And it's actually been really exciting. It's not something that uh, I ever really thought about for myself, but it's learning something new. It's mm-hmm. getting to see that I still get to make mistakes, uh, even at this point in my career. And it, that reminder from when, you know, you're first starting out that nobody judges you as harshly as you do. Yeah. I get that reminder all the time when I make my mistakes now. Mm. Uh, but every day it, it's, it, you know, interesting and new. And I, and I just love it. I just love it. Right. Interesting. That's great. And it's, it's great to hear that you kind of found that. Um, and it sounds pretty dynamic. The kind of work is, is ever changing as the law is always ever changing. Um, and so policies then need to fit that. And I think it, it might be useful just, just very briefly to maybe um, help the, the internationally trained community understand what Law Pro is. Because um, I think, again, you know, we spoke about how there's a lot of focus on accreditation exams, licensing exams, not much bandwidth to think about all of the things and stakeholders that you'll be dealing with in practice. And so, um, you know, just briefly, Victoria, uh, what's Law Pro and why should why should an internationally trained lawyer care? <laughs> well, unlike a lot of different places in the world, in mm-hmm. Ontario, we the Law Society said every lawyer has to have professional liability, E&O insurance, errors and emissions insurance, uh, to protect the public in the event the lawyer makes a mistake and the client has a right to sue the lawyer. Mm-hmm. And so the Law Society is its the sole shareholder of this insurance company that it set up, LawPro. And 95% of our business is that primary insurance for lawyers to cover them in the event of an mistake if they they make an error omission negligent act while acting for clients Mm -hmm. and so we defend them and we sometimes pay out when mistakes were made right well there you go that that sums it up nicely victoria and so um you will we'll wrap up a little bit here um in and sometimes you know given given everything that you've been through i i kind of like to ask um a bit of a philosophical question to you, you know, given everything that you've done and if you consider yourself way back when, when you were um, studying history, um, what what do you think if you told yourself back then that you'd end up all here? Um, would you do it all again, do you think? Would you go through it all? Would, would do you, do you still kind of, I suppose you wouldn't now given everything, <laughs> but going, there must've been some, um, I guess, uh, anxiety about coming back to Canada from Scotland because you loved it there. Um, do you often think about what life would be like if you didn't, or are you just quite happy where you are now? Um, to end up where I'm at right now, I'm happy for every step on the journey, every mm-hmm. step on the journey. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, my kids do not like to hear me say, yeah, I should have stayed in Scotland. Um, <laughs> of course not. No, yeah. <laughs> they have a vested interest in the fact that I came here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, it's one of those places that will always be so dear to my heart. And it's also what's made me have such a soft spot for all the internationally trained lawyers who are coming over and just kind of hoping that I can help them a little bit with um, their transition because I can remember so strongly how it was for me and how Mm -hmm. confusing everything seemed at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sometimes I was talking with somebody recently, would you have done your law degree in Scotland if you'd known you had to do the two years when you got back to Canada? If I'd known that beforehand, just practically speaking, I probably would have said no. Like if yeah. I knew that I wanted to be a lawyer, if I knew that the NCA process was going to be that time intensive at the time, it, you know, cost me two years of like, uh, tuition at two Canadian universities. Mm-hmm. Would I have done it? No. And that would have been a mistake. It's good that I went. It's the best thing that I went. Mm-hmm. It's maybe not the most practical thing that I went, um, <laughs> but it was the best for me. And it's, informed so much of my life and the decisions and my personality and everything else that I'm so grateful I went and the added confidence I got, the discipline I developed being over there. Um, I, I can't regret it at all. Mm. That's great, Victoria. And it's, it's so good to hear that, you know, because there are some impracticalities that exist with with going abroad and coming back, it, it's not enough to say I wouldn't do it again. Because, you know, I think there are so many life-changing moments that happen along that journey that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And you kind of grow into becoming the person you are today because of those mishaps and, and learning um, sort of learning moments, uh, life-changing learning moments in life. So... Sounds good, Victoria. Um, a really, really unique story. Um, and I will include, uh, if you're happy, a, a LinkedIn sort of link to this podcast posting so that if there are listeners who would be interested in connecting with you, uh, as we discussed earlier in the podcast, maybe maybe they'll have that chance. Oh, I'd look forward to it. Amazing. Thank you so much, Victoria, for your chat today. Thanks, Anton. And that does it for episode 34 of A Shot of Light. Thanks, as always, for listening. And until next time, we'll talk again.